So here we are. This is nice. You made it out on a Sunday, early evening. Traffic? Was there traffic? At this time on a Sunday? That's an outrage. Oh, oh, Green Lane. <laughs> Lime scooters, that's what we should all be using. Yes. Actually, I was just about run over by a lime scooter the other day. I was in my car, but I was just about... <laughs> they just about took me out. I think if I feel like they may have come off worse than, than I if we had actually collided, but they were very apologetic. Anyway, that's not what tonight is about. Uh, tonight, for formation, we, uh, we, last time we finished a series of discussions about the Bible, about what we do with the Bible, how we uh, might approach it, some of the ways of wrestling with some of the complicated things that happen in the Bible, because one of the unfortunate things about Scripture is that uh, we would probably like it to be this really kind of straightforward, clean-cut uh, book that gives us lovely descriptions of everything. Uh, and ties it all up in a nice bow. And what we find is this incredibly messy uh, collection of writings written over a very long period of time by a lot of different people in a lot of different places, um, even at times speaking different languages. And, um, and so what do we do with that when that's our sacred text? So we've been talking a bit about that. Uh, overall, really, our theme for this year is, so now what? Which is saying, how do we, how do we move forward um, with some of the... The things that still sit and hold central place in our faith, but perhaps have needed some reworking, some reimagining, some resharpening, some reformulating. And so we talked about the Bible in those terms. And what we're going to do for the next three formations, including tonight, is to talk about prayer. So we're going to do that in three parts tonight. We're going to say, uh, prayer, what is it good for? Uh, in two weeks' time, we are going to talk about the diverse... Streams and traditions of Christianity and the way in which prayer seems to emerge differently in those different streams and traditions and how we might learn from that, both about what's influenced us, why we pray the way that we do, and also perhaps an openness to, to enrich our sense of what prayer is by learning from multiple traditions and perspectives. And then in the final one, we're going to talk a little more specifically about some different practices of prayer um, that might be helpful to us. Cool? So that's where we're going to go. Prayer is such an interesting uh, topic. Many of you know now by now many pieces of my, uh, my own upbringing within a certain stream and tradition of Christianity. I do remember I was probably, I must have been, I reckon, four, something like four years old, and I had been told about the power of the name of Jesus. And that if you ask for something in Jesus' name, then God has to do it for you. And I was uh, in the, uh, the toileting facilities of our fine establishment in the Hawke's Bay as a child, and a blowfly flew in. Very irritating. It was really bugging me, so to speak. Uh, and I uh, kept flying around my hair and I was getting really frustrated. And so I said, in the name of Jesus, get out of this room right now. You know, this little kid. And out flew the blowfly. And I thought, this is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> it was like magic, you know. And actually, I've been watching Harry Potter for the first time. I've never seen Harry Potter. I've been watching from the beginning. 
Um, interesting group of collection of uh, films, guys. Anyone seen it? A few, a few of you, yes. Anyways, it's a little bit like that. Prayer is a little bit like a spell in, in that sense for me as a, as a young kid. You just kind of go, Huzzah! and uh, and something magical happens. And that's kind of the way I guess I thought about prayer as a little kid. I did go out and say to my parents, um, what I had done to the blowfly. And they sat down with me and said that maybe the name of Jesus shouldn't be used for things like casting blowflies out of rooms. <laughs> but ah, it was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> I th- <laughs> oh man, there's so many stories one could tell. And I'm sure many of you have got some as well. Um, and And there are times when prayers seem to amazingly connect with something that immediately follows. And then there were other times that they did not. And so as in maybe 11 year old sitting on my bed at night, um, trying to heal my eyes, you know, trying to get God to heal my eyes. And um, cause I didn't want to wear glasses. I've been wearing glasses since I was about five or six. And um, I was a bit sick of it. And I felt like, well, God does these things in the name of Jesus. Then I should just be able to say, you know, and if I had enough faith, so I'd try and, you know, muster my, muster my faith resources, collect them all for one big spell. Um, and <laughs> prayer, sorry. And <laughs> but, you know, I would try and I'd try and I, I remember sitting there and just being sort of like, I refuse, I'm not going to go to sleep until my eyes are healed. That will show God how resolute my faith is, you know, if I sit here and I'll just stay awake until it happens. And I was watching, I had an alarm clock and I, because the numbers were blurry on it because of my eye situation. And so I was just staring at the alarm clock, just waiting for the, the numbers to, to become clear. And, um, and then I woke up and it was the morning. <laughs> and I was like, next time, I'll get it next time. No question of like, maybe my strategy was flawed. It was more like I, I fell asleep and that's why it didn't work. Um, Actually, a number of years later, we had this guy come through, this an American healing evangelist actually come through and prayed for my eyes. And then I had, he said, you've got to take your glasses off as a step of faith, you know. And so then I had to wander around for the next, for the whole weekend, sort of, you know, bumping into everything, sort of waiting for this, this thing to arrive. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? And yet in other ways in my life, prayer has been this incredibly profound kind of resource and, and moment of connection for me, and so for me, it's this quite jumbled experience, or it has been for, for much of my life, of these these parts that I really struggle to make sense of, and then these other parts that still seem to be a really um, rich and connected sense of my spirituality. So, um, and I and I tell those stories not to be like, oh, therefore, you know, prayer doesn't prayer. What is it good for? Nothing. Uh, no, that's that's not. The point, as much as it is to just acknowledge that it's not like a spell in the sense that you, my experience of it uh, in the long run has not been one where I can make things happen that I want to make happen all of the time. Um, I can't control the world as much as I would like to. Um, I wonder what it would maybe uh, just best way to do this is maybe if we just actually share as a group together what are the thoughts feelings 
words, reflections that come to mind when you think of prayer? When you think of it for yourself, when you think of it for the church? They could be uh, wonderful feelings, thoughts, ideas, insights, or just random. Actually, do you want a minute to discuss that with the people at your table? That might be a good way to um, start the conversation. What are the thoughts, feelings, ideas, questions that come to mind when you think about prayer? Have a little discussion about that for a couple of minutes. All right. Lots of things to say about prayer. Are there any particular um, thoughts or words or feelings that um, came up in your conversation that you'd be happy to just share quickly? Plenty of chatting going on. A few question marks. Did you not sort it all out over here? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Very low, uh, laid back, low key. Not too much. Ign- okay, I'll have to work a bit harder. What's the question? <laughs> Give it a go. Well, in my mind, anyway, we sort of put a little bit of a divide or sort of seemed to end up with on one side, it was sort of like a relationship with God, talking, listening, you know, being with Him, He talking to you through nature, sort of the whole relationship side, which didn't have too many question marks about it. But over here, it was like, asking God for things and expecting things and that was sort of a whole different ball game that I use the word case, sarah, sarah. <laughs> whatever will be, will be. Um, and maybe we, how much power have we got or how much power have our words got to sort of expect things from God or ask things of him. Thank you. Cool. It's... Um it's good. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I I read this or heard it, but um, it's an interesting concept, so I'll just throw it out there, and that is that um, this world is really under Satan's power, evil, and if we want to make an impact spiritually, prayer is, is the way we do that. Um, that's what I had heard anyway, and um, I can't remember where I read it, but um, uh, yeah, it's a fallen, it's a fallen world, and Jesus made the way that we can connect with Him, and prayer is that that way of connecting. I think it's an incredibly powerful tool that we have, but I think we really do struggle with it because. Because we are confronted daily with um, the evil content of this world and um, a huge amounts of sin, both in our life and in the world around us, and um, I think we undervalue that 
power that we have in prayer. And I, I don't think it's it's magic. I think it it it's um hugely powerful in connecting us with God and God connecting with us. And um it's not powerful for us so that we can change the world. It's so that we can become aware of God working in us and through us um, as we connect with him. Um, so it's it's about relating to to that um, to God, and that's how I see prayer as a conversation and um, and getting on God's page, if you like, um, not our page, uh, because I'm sure all of us have a list of things we'd dearly like God to um, <clears throat> change, um, and He doesn't seem to be, <laughs> which is extremely annoying. But um, you know. We live on this planet, and um, God is not at our beck and call. I think we kind of need to turn it around the other way a bit and and need to be available to hear what he's saying. We need to be a bit more at his beck and call, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. said enough. Anyway, here we go. Thank you. Thanks for that. Really interesting. Yeah, anyone else want to add? Something. Yes. Um, we kind of had a talk around what we understand under prayer. Is it like something that we just say in like moments in the day? Little things like, oh, thanks for that. Like God, like acknowledging that God's giving you something and your prayer is to acknowledge it and like say thank you for it. Or is a prayer kind of kneeling at your bed in the evening for 14, 15 minutes praying for all the good things or bad things in your life or is it like more like a, I guess a traditional thing or do we learn every day to change the way we pray and express ourselves through prayer? Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of depends on the sender too. So where's your prayer coming from? Like is it coming from you demanding something of God or you accepting something from God or cherishing it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yes. Mm, well, I sort of am more inclined to think that prayer is prayer is um our daily lives and what we do in our life and Jesus being with us and peeling the potatoes and going about the washing and our interactions and that our whole life is prayer really and that in terms of verbal praying maybe it's about asking or praying in line with what Jesus might want for a situation or praying for a good outcome for something rather than what we might think the situation needs or deserves. Um, as it says, you know, um, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. So that means that the Holy Spirit knows what's needed and so we want to pray in conjunction with the Holy Spirit for an outcome 
rather than thinking we might know what's a good outcome. Mm. Mm. Thanks. Anyone else? It's sort of a bit relevant to the topic, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> when you think of it, sort of our Father who art in heaven, it's sort of, um, it's it's different to probably, like along the lines of what Grace was saying, you know, the way we live our lives, and I mean the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive each other, etc. But it's, it's, it seems to be um, th that's reasonably prescriptive, but it seems to be a lot more than what the Lord gave us in the Lord's Prayer for some reason or other. I mean, he, I know he only had a certain amount of time he could say, well, this is what you do when you pray. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's sort of the first comment, I suppose. Um, for me, I guess I was sort of brought up a little bit along the lines you were, you know, where... Where um, and and yet as time's gone on, um, for whatever reason, there seems to be a bit of a gap between what I would like to happen and what does happen. Um, <clears throat> and yet I see, I see in other people, from time to time, the sort of thing that I would long to see, but I don't necessarily see. So there's a bit of a bit of a gap there, and I and I don't quite know how to bridge the gap between right where I'm at and where possibly what I think other people might be at. Um, <clears throat> and and um, there are so many forms of prayer that are, that are valid. Uh, I mean, I, at the beginning of this, I was even asking myself, what, what actually does the word mean? Prayer, you know, where, where did it come from? Um, and it's a... Probably more often than not, a one-way monologue to God, to the Lord, and um, and then perhaps an answer might come later on, sometime. Um, it's a uh, a sorting out of my ideas as I pray. I, it sort of forces me to think about what I'm going to say, and then I go, "Hmm, do I really do I really sort of think that?" Um, so to be honest, it's a little bit jumbled at the moment, it, which really disgusts me, but because I, it shouldn't be. I, you know, I'm, I'm getting on, and I would have liked to have had it a bit more sorted out than I have. Yeah, and then I go and have a car accident, and that just blows all my theology out the window. So I don't quite know where that all fits. So no, no, but the, the but the ask and seek and and pray for protection and and uh, and all that that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that's a bit of a ramble, I know, but it's probably might have been helpful. Can I ask a question of the professor? Are you a professor or you're a lecturer? What do you call yourself? Oh, do you like being called doctor? Doctor, I have a question for you, doctor. How? <laughs> I'm, I'm conscious of how often do we hear stories of people who are missionaries abroad, they're in a country like India or Africa, and you hear about all these wonderful healings. You hear it's miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And I, the cynic inside me will say, well, are these all substantiated? Question number one. 
And question number two, are we so endowed with our natural resources here in the West that we all too often fall upon our natural resources and don't even have the door open to rely on or trust in God to meet our needs instead of our own personal affluent resources? Does that make sense? Just start with the easy ones, Jim. <laughs> oh, man, look. Um, it's such an interesting... Let me make a couple of general comments first, perhaps, and then I'm actually going to ask Linda up shortly. She's going to answer all our questions for us. Eh? Yeah, that's why there's two chairs here. Um, <laughs> it's a chair for the Holy Spirit, that's right. Um you know, what, what we recognise, I think, even as we have this conversation, is that there are, for something that is so central to Christian kind of spirituality and Christian practice, it is this interesting space with so much unknown to it. And, um, and you know, I'm sure people could do PhDs on exactly what prayer is and exactly how it works. Uh, but what you'll find is that that doesn't work <laughs> uh, in 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 real life in the sense that there there are often not neat and tidy packaged solutions to many of the questions. Otherwise, we would probably find ourselves with a much firmer, stronger sense, even in this room, of people who have been walking with God for a long time and who 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 are like, "Yes, I've sorted it out now. I'm you know, uh, I've I've figured it all out." And so there is this journey to. The idea of prayer um, that is diverse. It really is. And for some people, to talk about prayer is exciting and interesting and compelling. And um, for others, it becomes uh, a topic that brings up trauma and anxiety. And because there were things that they prayed for that didn't happen, and they don't know what to do with that. Or uh, or for some people, it's a, a space of, like many of the Christian practices, a space of guilt, which is I should be better at this, but I'm, I'm not, or I should have sorted this all out and I haven't, or I should pray more, really. Um, I mean, I'd like to be a person of prayer. Um, and so the feeling that we should be further along in the journey than we are is a common one, I think, for many people. And yet at the same time, um, stories of, you know, people for whom prayer is a really amazing, beautiful thing. And and what are we talking about? Are we talking about asking for things? Or are we you know, when I was when I was young, again my my dad went to India on a Jesus Heals crusade and crusade not the best term in retrospect. But uh there were these these trips they did back in back in the eighties and get their Jesus Heals T shirts and and go over and run these big meetings in India, and he'd come back with these with these stories of the kind of miracles that took place. Um, the question of why does it seem to apparently happen there, but not here? This is a question that comes up again and again and again and again for people who are exposed to those kinds of stories because they they want to know. I'm you know I work with a, a, an Indian colleague actually who's whose husband was a healing preacher in India, um, who's now pastoring a church in New Zealand and trying to figure out why uh, all of the things that worked in India, for whatever reason, don't seem to be working here. And it's a, it's a confusing experience in some ways, uh, trying to figure out what is going on there. 
So um, seems like a good moment to bring Linda up, doesn't it? <laughs> Look, I, I think um, it's a great question, Jeff, in particular that that last one. And perhaps as we go along, we'll see if we. I don't know that we're going to answer it. I'm sorry. You know, I, I think one of the one of the challenges, if we say, let me let me say a couple of the challenges with with answering the question. Um, if we say it's just because we're so used to relying on the things that we have, then the answer to that would be to take away the things that we have and then our prayers would get answered. Um, and that can lead you down the road, which some people go down, of I'm not even going to go to the doctor because because God's going to do this thing for me. Um, and that doesn't always work out either. Uh, so I don't think there's kind of these easy solutions to it, I think, in my own life at least. Things are less predictable than I would like, but that doesn't mean nothing's happening. Um, which is the great theologian's way of saying God moves in mysterious ways and then, you know. <laughs> um, so what I thought we could do uh, tonight is, is I, I'm going to ask Linda a few questions about prayer and then uh, if we have any more questions that come out of that conversation, uh, we'll do that and then Linda's going to take us through a practice to finish. Cool? Hi, Linda. Hi. Okay. Well, let's start with a pretty broad question, which is what is prayer to you? And maybe how has that changed over time? I feel like I'm in the company of some of the, some greats here, to be honest. You know, half of this room. Sorry, you guys. <laughs> Amazing. In terms of experience and practice and years of commitment to the sense of relationship with God and you know, so I'm really, seriously, I'm just, there's a saying, um, it actually is a, is a Buddhist saying, <clears throat> which I don't have a problem with because it echoes the words of Jesus and it says, in all things have a beginner's mind. In other words, Jesus might say, um, be like a child. So with prayer, this helped me um, a long time ago, um, just to have a beginner's mind. And then I think we approach prayer with humility. And I think that the difficulty that we've experienced, and I'm speaking to those of us that are, you know, have been around the church probably for 30, 40 years or more, um, we've been given um, rules or ways of praying that are more functional and less relational. So I think about when I was maybe in my 20s, a book came out by a guy called Larry Lee and we were taught or told to pray for 60 minutes and then the 60 minutes was divided into wedges, two minutes this, three minutes that, ten minutes that, six minutes that and there was this perfect 60 minutes and if you prayed every, <clears throat> every wedge that had a topic or a title, then that's the perfect way to pray a day, 60, you know. Is there anybody here that practiced that, Larry Lee? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I just never had any 
any success with anything like that personally, and that could reflect my personality. Um, I didn't like to be told how to pray. <laughs> Not that I knew how, or, but I think it's how. I think the problem is the word, the question, how do we pray? Like, you know, like how, how in our Western rational mind implies there is a way. How do you do it? You know, and I think that's where we've come unstuck, personally. Um, last time we were together, I shared a little bit about my story around my the Bible and the evolution of my um, the change that the way I approach the Bible, and it's exactly the same way as I approach prayer. And so it came out of a like you're talking, Warren. You know, um, it's. Now the crisis, the crisis in life is what invites us into change. It's that's all that's what happens. It's like and for those of us that are a bit older that have, have experienced our different um, crises, and for those of you that are younger who are yet to and you may and you, I'm sure I'm sure you have, but it's the crisis of life that allows us or invites us into change. And so the crisis of faith invites us into to consider how we pray and how we read the Bible. And how, therefore, how we relate to God. So, for me, prayer has come out of that. You know, I what you said, Grace. Um, you know, when you're just peeling the potatoes, it's prayer. It's a prayer. So, there's a book called um, "Practicing the Presence of God" by a, um, a monk or a, uh, Brother Lawrence, and he wrote a book called "Practicing the Presence of God." That you know, if we just pop that little book into our bookshelf and or just had a read, he he was like just wherever you are, whatever you're doing, there you, there is God with you. And I think that's a prayer. So everything that we do. So when I make my coffee in the mornings and make it in a Chemex and I'm pouring it slowly, it's a slow pour. And it's, the process is beautiful. And it's my, it's, it's my morning ritual. It's my morning prayer. Because it's connecting me to, it's very embodied. And I think that prayer is embodied. I think that involves all of us. And everything that we do, so that simplifies things. Um, but what is prayer to me? Prayer basically is my relationship with God. That's it. Um, I wouldn't even have to say anything. I, and it's a prayer. I think. Um, therefore, the presence of God is part of my is a part of that. And however that looks, and however I find that, um, I've written here at the heart of prayer is a connection that takes place between me and God, but not just me and God. I, less and less I think about it's just me and you, God, against the world. More and more I know the need for solidarity and being amongst, you know, and that's where, that's where I feel connected when I'm with, I feel connected to God when I'm with other people, which connects me to God because of God in us. You know. um, for me, prayer is first of all listening, and God is the initiator of the whole process. I should think God is the initiator of the prayers that I pray. So, um, Henri Nguyen says, God is always speaking, always doing something. Prayer is to enter into that activity. Prayer is thinking in dialogue, a conversation with God. So, I, I'm a firm believer that um, the, the prayer that I'm praying, or the desire that I might have or the thought that I might be thinking is somehow beautifully intertwined with the sense of God in me. 
So maybe you call that a God consciousness or Christ consciousness or the soul. Or So I don't actually think that um, my prayers, I don't think of prayer as being me, something out there coming to me, but as opposed to something that's developing within inside of me and comes out of me. That may not make sense. Um, so prayer has become very, very organic and not formulaic. Uh, whenever I was praying as a young person in a form- formulaic way, I always felt guilty. I always felt that I wasn't doing enough. I always should be praying. I should pray about that. Because in that way, the prayer or the conversation or the interaction had a certain formula that needed to take place for it to be successful or to be right or to be correct or to have or to bring about some kind of a result. And I don't think that prayer is for results, primarily. If there are results, then it's just because God decided that there was going to be one. The rest of it's just about me staying in communion. So prayer perhaps is communion. You can see how I got Linda up here. Um, hey, Linda. It's, uh, there's a couple of things as, as you're speaking, I, I think. Um, similar, in fact, to our conversation around the Bible, one of the things I think that happened at a certain point, and maybe you know, we're, we're going to talk about different streams and sort of approaches to prayer next time, um, but the development of this particular kind of ritual of, say, the quiet time, for example, which I grew up with a very staunch kind of idea of this quiet time that I was supposed to be having, or even when people would, you know, would would become Christians and they would get told every day read your Bible and pray, you know, that was kind of that was the main advice. That was how you did it. Um, but a lot of that's in isolation, and whether it was reading your Bible, you're supposed to be able to sit down with you and your Bible and suddenly have these amazing moments, and or with prayer, sit down with me. And God, uh, and for this defined period of time. And certainly there are wonderful, rich moments in those times, but also the sense of pressure that can come if this is the way that it happens. Uh, and there's something in, in the solidarity, when we reflect on the Lord's Prayer, which was mentioned earlier, um, the language is communal, it's give us. It would sound very different if it was solitary language, you know. Um, if I, my Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, your kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my daily bread and forgive me my, you know. But when you actually turn it into solitary language, suddenly the, the prayer turns very, um, almost narcissistic, doesn't it? But the, the language of us invites us into this, this experience that we actually share. With one another, which I think is, which I think is nice. There can be, yeah, there can be funny pressures that come on. I remember when I was very first, maybe the first year I was teaching at a Bible college, and we had a visited uh, visiting um, preacher come through, who had been um, somehow recruited to come and share with the students, and he was a very intense young American guy, and he was like, "If you want to be in ministry, and you can't sit in a chair in a room and pray in tongues for four hours a day by yourself." Then you didn't you you don't have a future ministry at my church, uh, and everyone we were just all like, "Whoa, man, it's uh, I guess I do not have a future ministry in your church." Uh, but that level of intensity, you know, um, is is often not sustainable for most people. I think 
and doesn't necessarily result in the kind of communion that you might be talking about. Um, all right, this question then, seeing as I've brought you up here, do you feel like an expert in prayer, Dunda? Because that's the way I see you. I see you as an expert in theology, Dr. Michael Frost. So how you see yourself? No. Okay, okay. No. And I'm actually a little bit, I feel like a phony most of the time. You know, even just sitting up here because it's funny, I've been asked, Greg and I have been asked to go down to a um, weekend speak in Danivirk and, um, you know, I, I have got so much to say about, you know, um, so many social justice and activist kind of things, but I've asked to, be talk, to talk to women about prayer. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'll come, I'll do that because they've asked me to. But I'm like, why, why? Why? And, and Ben said, it's because of the way I know you. It's what I've seen, heard, seen about you. I went, wow, gosh, oh my goodness, what have I been portraying? Anyway, I think what it is, is <clears throat> I just feel like um, this journey has been so liberating for me in terms of the whole prayer thing. And the most liberating thing for me is that I am not it's just more like the fear or the anxiety of what it was like years ago in the church to be told how to pray and the quiet time and the way we had to do things. It never, ever, ever resonated with me. But as a young person, and I'm not saying that it doesn't resonate with others, and I wonder sometimes if it's about our personalities, you know, and... um our experiences and the way we've just been put together because I'd never say that all of the different ways of praying are. But the every, there's a place for everything and that's the key. There's a pra- place for everything. And I think what we experienced as young people were there were certain ways and that just did nothing but make me afraid and anxious. So I'm very, very excited for young people who can, who can um, begin to communicate and see God in a different way. So an expert... No, just and even a practitioner, kind of. But um, there are two things that I, there are two mantras. You can write this down. I didn't write them, but I wish I did because they're amazing. These two sayings help, have helped me immensely. Firstly, is pray as you can, not as you can't. So do what you can, not what you can't. And that is a throwback to this sense of having to do more than I ever thought that I could do and feeling bad because I couldn't. So pray as you can, not as you can't. And if that's my mantra for the rest of my life around prayer, that's okay. The second one, which is beautiful, is to desire prayer as prayer. So if that's true, to desire prayer as prayer, then I'm praying all the time. So when Paul says pray without ceasing, that's a really high bar if you come come from an achievement or a results or a a sense of um, I should be doing this more. Did I pray enough there? Did I, that happened because I wasn't praying enough? You know, Lisa, today I was cutting up pumpkin in the kitchen and I cut myself and she said to me when she got here, I just thought when I was out there, Linda's in the kitchen on her own and she's going to cut herself. And I'm like, well, you know, and I did. And I'm like, did you speak that into being? Is that your, <laughs> what are you saying? Were you, did you pray? <laughs> And I cut myself. <laughs> so what about that? You know, I'm not. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true because she had this thought. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's all yeah. No. And this is the thing. You know. Um, 
to, to desire, to, the, to prayer is such an interesting thing. It's like, I just don't think we know really what it means fully, which I like. I like that. So I like to think that I can remain a beginner. So when the question, are you an expert? I think I want to stay a beginner because as a, if I stay a beginner, then I'm open to so many new and beautiful and incredible ways of being with God. And I think prayer is being with God. And I think prayer starts inside of me where God is calling me to prayer. Uh, the scripture that gets, so says, deep calls unto deep, the sound of a mighty waterfall. I like to think that my, the depths of me and the depth, the depth of me is where God is. And God in me and the depths of me are communicating all the time. I'm just waking. My prayer for myself is that I would, I would wake up, know what that means, to know what, who is within me in the depths of my being. So my, in terms of my journey, I've turned, everything's turned on its head. Uh, and this would, this would run alongside the idea of dualism. So whereas we used to think it was in and out, up and down, you know, all the opposites, now I go, um, God is God is all around me, but God is within me. And I that's where I start. I have to start here, you know. And as I start here and I allow myself to understand the presence of God within me, the deep calling out of the deep, the depths of me calling to the depth of God in me begins to help me open my eyes to God around me. And I think God is all around and that's where I'm looking. I do most of my praying outside. I do most of my praying walking. I do most of my praying in the garden. I do most of my praying um in nature and then I love praying with other people because of solidarity and because of connectedness that's when I really feel like wow that's amazing even just sitting in a room with people not in silence is beautiful if you can cut through the silence and not worry about the awkwardness that's that's prayer so it's multifaceted it's like a cut diamond it shines the light shines through it it's who knows you know really what it is. Um, but that sense of have a beginner's mind, um, pray as I can, not as I can't, desire to desire prayer as prayer means pretty much whenever I feel like this would be a good thing to, I can see God in that. I could see God in that, that flower. I can see God in that chicken. I'm praying. So I've just broken it down. It's not a formula and it's not necessarily words. It's often silence and it's often in my sleep. I know that I'm, I'm praying in my sleep because I wake up with a song or a verse or a something. Yeah, so, yeah. Sorry, I read a lot of interesting stuff and I do hang out probably in some mystical circles in my reading and so often I feel like I'm a little bit... Um, what's the word? I can't quite... It's all coming out in a big mishmash but that to me actually says exactly what I think about prayer I just can't label it I just want to experience it and I know when I have and I want more of that when you touch something that's beautiful and you reach you engage with something that's amazingly transformational you want more of that when you have some something to eat that's delicious you want more of that you know and that's how I feel about relating to God. When I, if I can't experience something, 
I feel thirsty. But when I experience that, I go, I want more of that. That's what prayer is for me. Awesome. It's interesting, I think, in the if we think about the the kind of the split and the dualism, what tends to happen, especially to people like me, whose professions are about figuring out the theory, um, is that prayer turns into a set of theoretical propositions rather than an experience. Uh, and in fact, and you mentioned embodiment earlier, and the way in which so much even of the of the biblical language for prayer is so embodied. Um, it's experienced. And so what you don't tend to find, you know, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and you, I mean, I guess this is the case with most things in the Bible, but you can't turn to sort of page 74 and find, you know, and therefore the 20 principles of prayer are, you know, it just, that's not the kind of spirituality that we're invited into when we when we read scripture or when we when we think about the story of Christ somehow we are called into this experience of something and I think that's kind of beautiful even if it's um, less uh, less able to be put into bullet points on a uh, piece of paper I do have some bullet points here though um so I want to ask you a question then about so what, what does it mean, and I think we're starting to get a sense of this already, but what does it mean to, to you to have like a prayer life? Prayer life is, the, is the, the kind of phrase that perhaps I bumped into a lot when I was younger, and usually if I said I was struggling with something or I had some challenges, people would know, how's your prayer life? You know, um, <laughs> Which might not be your experience at all. But, but this idea of your... What does it mean to you? And I think maybe you're already answering the question. Um, but is there anything else you might want to say about that, about what it means for you to have this life of prayer other than praying in your sleep, which is a great strategy. I'm picking up on that one, taking that home. <laughs> um, I, I'm just aware that all of us in this room have different ways of approaching these things. And I'm once again, want to say that think that out the way that you relate to God is your way, and it's very important that you relate to God your way. So I'm always really nervous about claiming what even what my prayer life would be like. I I'm a little bit like you. I'm like, God, I wish I'd further down the track than I was, you know. And then I go, I'm so glad I'm not further down the track than I am. Do you know? I, I'm I go. I'm part of me is like, oh, I should be further along now by now. And then I go, what does that even mean? You know, and then I go, I'm really glad that I'm not further along the track now because that invites me to stay very in a very simplistic way of being in terms of this and open to new ways of being. Um, I have always blamed, told myself off for not getting up, um, sitting when I eat my porridge and getting my Bible out and reading a verse and, you know, writing something in my journal every, all the time. So then I go, but, des but to desire prayer is prayer. <laughs> so I give out myself on the back. Well done, Linda. You're doing okay because you really want to. So it's, the language of prayer is the language of desire. It starts there. It starts within us. And that's what we're trying to untap, the language of desire. Um, I think my prayer life has become very, very organic. And so I'm just, and it can't happen without me noticing and watching or listening or observing. And so um, I'm always observing 
what's going on around me, in the world around me, and whatever I engage with that's happening around me in any particular way, that is an invitation to connecting with myself and with God and with the world around me. So, you know, we talk about even the quiet time or the, the, the private prayer time, um, I think that's a, it's beautiful. I think we should all figure out how we do that best. But um, I don't seem to be very – I've never been good at locking myself in a room and shutting my door. Like there's a verse that says, shut yourself in your room and close the door and talk to your father private. It actually says that. I'm like, whoa, that's, I don't know how to do that. I'm not, I've never done that. Um, but I, more and more and more as I go on, I think – and this, this goes along the whole journey of um, – deconstructing this sense of being nervous about who God is, which we talked about over here, like whatever my image of God is, whoever God is for me, that's how I pray. If God is a a really difficult and harsh taskmaster, then I'm a little bit nervous. But if God is loving and kind and unconditional, then I'm safe. So everything, the way I read my Bible, the way I pray, the way I engage with the world around me is all about how I view God, the image of God. That was the first thing to deconstruct in my life when I had a personal faith crisis. Um, my my prayer life is like uh, is very organic. Um, it says in Romans, um, and you you mentioned this grace, the scripture that says we do not know what what we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with wordless groans. So that to me, that's another guide that I've just got to be listening and noticing and watching what's going on around me and what I'm picking up on, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what I'm tasting, all those things, are because because I'm embodied, it must somehow engage with the sense of who I am as a, as a human. Um, and a question for me around this prayer life is, um, who is doing the praying? Is it me or is it God in me? <laughs> Who starts this? Who's starting this thing? And if I think that God is the one who's initiating, always initiating, always the initiator, then my task is to listen and to notice and to observe. And so um, there's this sense of uh, deep consciousness that I think we're invited into, which what, what is required isn't so much to, is to begin to peel back the layers that keep us. And maybe that's what you're talking about, um, Diane, you know, talk about the uh, the world around us. Maybe the world around us, or another way of, of talking about the world around us and the things that come against us, are the layers, of, the layer upon layer upon layer that we have actually buried ourselves in, that come from external uh, um, whatever is coming up against us, and that God within us, deep within our consciousness, is just unpeeling the layers, unpeeling the layers, and getting our attention which is a beautiful, beautiful, organic way of thinking about being with God as opposed to, for me, I'm shouting at something or trying to pull something down or I'm like, I just don't even, I used to know what that meant, but I don't know what that means anymore. You know, I'm like, that's all just too big for me. I just have to focus on what's going on within me. When I think about one of the um, changes that happened for me in prayer, and this is certainly related to the the image of God that we hold, I suppose. When I studied theology, one of the, the radical transformations that took place for me was my view of God, who, if you'd have asked me, I probably wouldn't have said this, but what I discovered is this is what I thought. I think the image of God ultimately was the sort of the, the old man in the in the sky kind of image, the Sistine Chapel um, 
figure, you know, um, and whether, and I would have, if you'd have said, is that what you think of God? I would have said, no, 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 God is spiritual or something like that. I don't know what I would have said. But um, but when you look at the way that I related to God and thought about God, I, I think I was operating with that kind of subconscious image of God and in, and in studying and in having that image of God reshaped and reformulated. Um, it was interesting. I was having a conversation with um, actually Mark Strom, who used to be um, principal at Laidlaw College. And he said to me one day, he said, if you really want to know what someone believes, listen to them pray. And I thought that was interesting because um, you, you can have all of these ideas, but actually when you pray, it's often when what, what you, so what I did with that was not listen to other people as much as paid attention to myself when I prayed. And so I was praying and simultaneously listening to myself. Uh, wherever I was, wherever I found myself praying over the next period of time, I would, I would, I would sort of think about the words that I said and what that told me about what I really believed about God and what I thought about God. And I found some very interesting things about, you know, the way I saw God and the, and the kind of maybe the, some of the, the subtle anxieties or fears or, or worries that I had about God and about the way I saw God and what God might think of me and the kinds of things I wanted God to do. And I think about now the way that I pray and one of the things, because I still, I still kind of do this. I found, I found myself doing this just as a habit is to pray and to simultaneously be listening to myself praying uh, as a way of learning about myself, I think. And, um, and what I notice is that I start almost every prayer that I pray now with some kind of acknowledgement of how present God is and of the closeness of God. Um, and what that tells me is that the idea of God that I hold now has been reshaped in such a way that rather than kind of lobbing prayers, you know, upward and hoping they'll kind of stick like a Velcro ball or something to some giant cosmic Velcro uh, landing pad in the heavenly uh, realm, um, I've instead found myself coming into this place where what I start with is presence and everything else kind of works its way up from there, you know. Um, now, we're kind of circling around one particular issue which has come up a little bit already in some of our earlier reflections. So let me ask you, um, do you ask for things when you pray? Yes, of course I do. Um, but I don't, I think the asking for things is, my, is for me. I think prayer is for the prayer. So when I'm asking for things, as soon as I've asked and talked to God about my needs or the needs, I feel better. I just do. I have no idea what the result will be of the prayer. And I won't presume that I can know. And I don't think that we have we can presume to know what the God of the universe is going to do with what we say, you know. But I just know when I pray and I do and I do bring um I present my requests to God. You know, and Philippians talks about don't be anxious about anything. And I think anxiety runs deep within the core of our humanity. And Paul says don't be anxious because Paul knew we were going to be anxious. So there's a given. We're going to be anxious. Let's just get over that. Anxiety isn't a sin and it's not the worst emotion. But we are going to be anxious. So Paul says don't be anxious. But when you are, because we will be, so just, okay, cool, I'm gonna get, it's going to happen, Pray. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. So I think that that's a, one of my favourite prayer passages because um, 
Often we pray because we are anxious for ourselves, for somebody else, for something that we are worried, concerned about in the world. So we take that anxious prayer, which clearly we're going to have, and we pray. And the prayer becomes for the prayer, for me, to invite peace. And that's what changes. I just, I feel better. I just feel better when I'm praying. I feel better when I'm bringing my requests to God. I actually feel more peaceful. And then I think I, I set myself up into a position where I can cope with the results better, regardless of what they are. So if I'm praying for something that's a deep, a, a real concern for somebody or for myself, or and I, pr- and I worry about it and I just stress over it and I don't sleep over it, I just get myself into into a state, but if I and usually the thing doesn't change anyway. So the but if I pray and I present my request and I talk to God about it, bring my anxieties to God, then I feel peaceful. But the thing might happen anyway. But I'm positioned in a way to hold the result, whatever the result might be. I'm positioned to hold the result because I've presented my request and I've prayed. So I think prayer, primarily prayer, is for the prayer. I think prayer is for me. I think prayer. The action of prayer is for us, but I still pray about things, absolutely. And if they come to pass, I'm usually quite surprised. Whoa, that's amazing. That's awesome. But if they don't, I go, okay, but I actually somehow, for some in some miraculous, unusually unusual and mysterious way, I'm holding myself better, even though the result is what I was praying wouldn't happen. Does that make sense? I think prayer is for the prayer first. I think prayer is for us. I think God gave us this language, this commu- this connection, this communication to bring a sense of soothing and peace and rest to our soul. So Psalm, Psalm 42 says, be still and know that I am God. So in, when I wake up, if I wake up in four in the morning, sometimes I do, and my mind is busy and my thoughts wake me, um, I actually a practice now is I just take those the words of that psalm and I just put it into a breath prayer. I close my eyes, lay on my back, and I just think, be still and know, I breathe in, that I am God, I breathe out. And I say it and I meditate on it and I go to sleep every time. It's a prayer, you know, um, but it's for me. And the thing that I'm worried about Still there in the morning, usually, but somehow something in me has changed. So I think prayer is for the prayer. It's interesting to reflect on the Psalms, which are this compendium of prayers, poetic prayers. Um, and what you find is is this kind of expression of desire through the Psalms. Um, but I hope probably is that not all of those psalms would be answered because <laughs> some of them get pretty rough, you know. <laughs> um, you know, dash the children of my enemies on the rocks. And, um, and, yet, and yet there was this expression of, whether that was kind of rage or desire or, or sadness or grief or trauma, in which often was in those situations where it was coming out of the sense of, of traumatic experience that was giving rise to this, uh, total devastation and a desire for revenge and all this kind of stuff, and yet all of this gets brought before God. And you, you often find within the Psalms this beautiful journey of, of even in the most raging of, of Psalms, they often finish with this, the kind of statement, 
but put your faith, but put your hope in God, for I will yet, you know, praise Him, or I will put my trust in Him. Or they have this way of circling us back around to this kind of landing place um, that brings us into the, I think maybe the kind of experience that you're talking about. There's only one psalm that doesn't do that. It's my favourite. <laughs> Sometimes it's my favourite. It's like it just just finishes. Da, it just finishes with the with with the rah. <laughs> and it doesn't have a nice looping verse at the end. But there's only one, one out of 150. It's not bad. Oh, look, it's Psalm 80 something. See, for a theologian, I'm terrible at remembering numbers. Um, I'm going to say 84. Maybe I, I should. I know. I tell you, I am. Uh, my uh, my wife Hannah marvels at the um, things that stick in my brain and the things that don't. You know, I was being a bit funny saying it was my favourite. Some days it's my favourite. Uh, okay, well, um, let's let's come to this question then. What, which is, I guess, bringing us back to experience and back to to practice. But what value? Because we've talked in some way about opening up to the idea of prayer, which is that it's not about maybe 60 minutes of very structured uh, thing that everybody must do in the morning or um, a very prescribed thing. But then there are practices of prayer that are often uh, helpful to us. So what value do particular practices of prayer have for you in your life? So I think this is where I um, helped a number of years ago where I was able to begin to un unpack what prayer was for me and we were um met together with some friends and we just got this book and it had about i don't know 12 chapters and each chapter had a different way of praying but it was all very experiential and none of us knew what we were doing and um it was a bit like the dead poet society you know like we gather in a room <laughs> oh gosh this is so fun <laughs> you know but it was like exper experiential and experimental and we just take ourselves places we'd follow the book the chapter and we head off into the bush or into the wherever we go. Um, so these practices became like scaffolding and um, and I think about the, the metaphor of a scaffold, you know, when we are, if you're deconstructing or you're reconstructing a building, often the building will be scaffolded or, um, or the trellis that creeps up the back of your garden wall, you know, it's just a support system. It's not the thing itself, it's a support, it's the support system for the thing itself. And I realised that I needed to experience a number of different ways of being with God, to practice them as many as I could so that I could find my way into the thing that I felt was the most, uh, my best fit. So it makes sense that one size doesn't fit all in God, to be honest, because no, no one in this room is the same. We must, God must know that we, each of us has, has a particular way of being with God that is based on our fit. And when we find that fit and we fall into that, Comfort, it's so fr it's so beautiful and freeing. And when you do fall into those places, then you begin to lose the sense of, I should be doing something, but I can't. They can, but why can't I, you know? Or I should be further down the track than I am. But, you know, um, so, the, so there's a whole range of practices that I have uh, learned about and experienced, most of them. Um, so, and I'll just list them. Um, and some of them I love, and some of them I've just gone no way, no way. This is not me, and others have been really me. So, um, so silence, and I think that goes back to that whole um, uh, the sense of 
being um, aware and open and noticing what's going on around us. So we have to be silent to do that. We just have to be still sometimes to notice what, what God is doing and saying. Uh, meditation, uh, breath prayers. So using your breath, the inhale and the exhale to uh, maybe, maybe a word or a sentence that you, that you actually have in your mind as you're breathing in. Because you can't actually breathe and talk at the same time. I am right now. I'm breathing out. I'm exhaling and breathing out. But I can't, I can't actually speak when I'm breathing in. Try it. Can't, you can only speak when you're speak, breathing out. So anyway, um, Lectio Divina, and we did this last time we were together. That's using the text, praying with the text. The prayer of examine, which I'm going to talk about later. Um, prayer beads. For a while, I had in my coat pocket for maybe two or three years, I had in my coat pocket a set of prayer beads, and I learnt a traditional way of praying them. Every bead of prayer, a cruciform, a cross in, three beads, a big bead, three more small beads, 21 beads, around, 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 seven times, same prayers, same scriptures. Amazing. I could do it on the train. I'd sit there just praying till I got to Kingsland. And I did it every time I was on the train. And I, and I just, if I didn't have my beads in my pocket, I felt like I was, where are my beads? They just became this beautiful anchor. Amazing. I, I loved it. And I still have them. Um, you asked. Press stones, um, metaphors from nature, pilgrim walks, a labyrinth. Um, Lisa works for peacemakers and they have a labyrinth, the prayer labyrinth out there is the walk. It's just this beautiful, beautiful slow walk into a spot and then a walk out. Um, the Jesus prayer, based on a scripture, um, that one of the um, uh, person who wanted healing said, Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that was a prayer that was used by the mystics years ago or hundreds of years ago, like, Round and round and round and round, the same a prayer, set of prayer beads. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> just over and over and over the same words. And eventually, the words just drop in and get in and stay in. Um, prayers of the saints. So in the Roman Catholic tradition, the rosary, uh, praying with icons, journaling, retreats, fasting. Um, there's a Mary garden up at the Friary, which is in the Franciscan Friary, which is amazing. Praying in song, praying with art, praying poetry, stations of the cross, um, sacraments, and praying, praying in tongues. <laughs> still, it's good. You know, I don't agree. said to me the other day, do you pray in tongues still? <laughs> Funny question. I said, yeah, but not when I'm, it's not a conscious thing. It's when I've been praying and chatting, I'm out walking, and then all of a sudden I run out of words, and something from deep within me begins to come out of me, and I just start, put a little bit of a go, oh, that was nice. Oh, gosh, that was nice. That felt so nice. But I haven't prayed in loud, loud tongue, screaming at the uh, universe for many, many years. And I didn't ever like doing it when I did, did it, do it, but everybody else seemed to be doing it, so I thought that I should. So, you know, we, we change. Um, so these are all ways, there's so many ways of praying and being with God and being with each other. And um, there's like this, this treasure trove of practices that, um, and if you want the names of some books, or I'm happy to give those away. That's awesome. I think one of the really sort of exciting things for me is, is Linda's talking about that. And I might not, I don't think I've been excited about prayer for a few years. Um, I used to be very excited. Do a bit of yelling. I did a bit of, I think the advantage to yelling in tongues is you can choose your consonants, and consonants are great for yelling. Um, 
Sorry, that was a bit silly. Um, the the sort of the the exciting idea that because in my and we'll talk next time again as I said about these diverse traditions, but there has very much been kind of one way of praying for me, maybe two tongues, uh, and then and then basically just talking to God in this very kind of direct way. And what do you do when when that way kind of you don't know what to do with that or you find yourself going, I don't really know if this is doing something or, or should should it, should I be feeling different than I am or, or whatever or even just getting finding yourself stuck in this kind of rut or this kind of loop to recognize that within the Christian tradition uh, there are this range of practices available to us that could pull us into an experience of communion with God in a way um, that might just take us from a, a different angle into something and I find that you know kind of liberating and and stimulates my curiosity to say, what would it mean to have that kind of experience and to enter into that? I think that's nice. And in some ways, um, you know, the idea of scaffolding becomes important too. I think one of the things with, um, when we open the field, so to speak, and say, it means all of these things, suddenly you can find yourself floundering around a little bit going, well, then what, it, what does it, what is it? What do I do? Um, if I could do anything, um, then I don't know what to do because the field's almost too open. If, do you know what I mean? Um, and and so to be able to come to these specific practices and say, okay, well, I could do that uh, as a way of inviting me into something, I think becomes really um, meaningful. I think many of these acts of prayer in their own ways are very countercultural. Even the idea of silence itself is um, it's disappearing from the world. Silence. We are finding ways to fill all of the space with noise of some kind. Uh, so much so that now many people feel so deeply awkward and uncomfortable when there's silence that they have to fill it quickly with, with something, you know. Um, and that probably tells us something about our current state of mind and our anxieties and and the fact that for, for young people growing up in the 21st century, anxiety seems to be one of the things that is most prevalent for people growing up in the present time. Now, every generation, I'm sure, has its particular kinds of challenges. Um, but whether it's, you know, what I do in college, working with people who are in their sort of maybe late teens, early mid-twenties, um, repeatedly seeing people now dealing with anxiety all the time and the idea that some of these practices might actually help us reclaim some space, some margin, some moment for communion with God and a sense of recalibration, I think perhaps is... Is a countercultural move that's needed, you know. Um, we're nearly out of time, so I'm going to ask Linda shortly just to take us through a. Well, I have asked Linda to take us through a practice to finish. Um, tonight, I really wanted to ground this conversation in our experience and um, what prayer is actually like for us, 
And then as I say, next time we're going to work our way through some different ways of thinking about prayer. Cool? So Linda, I think you're going to take us through the prayer of examine. Is that right? Yeah? Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Um, I was going to do that, wasn't I? Are there any questions that we have at this point before we do this? Yes. Thank you for what you've been sharing. It's very great, very helpful. But um, I just wondered with your journaling, just maybe share what how you found that sort of helped you. Yeah. I think that if you are a writer and you love to write, then journaling would probably be part of your practice. So, um, yeah, I've, I just write. I have written prolifically in my journal. And the experiences that I've had with writing and journaling and journaling have been that as I've written freely, uh, where I've allowed my raw emotion and the real story and the heart cry, like the, the laments, the pre- the psalms of lament, to actually take shape and to be, and this is not always just, my journal isn't full of horrible, nasty stuff. Um, I have some beautiful things as well. But, but it's been very effective for me when I've been writing, when I've really had big things on my heart. And so I've written freely and then um, let it go, just let it keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. And eventually I've had this experience where I, just, I, I didn't know what ever happened and it just happened one day. Whereas my prayer, my writing just turned into a prayer. So you could say, and I, and I would say that all of my writing was a prayer of some form because it was an expression and God was very much on the in the in the pages and written in the book with me. But there was a point where I could see myself turning going whoa it's like and then I just it shaped more into a request or and then I would just pull back and go oh I'm in <laughs> you know like so yeah I had some journaling's been a big part of it but not always whenever I'm in a new season of life I change I made sure I get a new journal I could just be going on a trip I get a new journal. So I've got piles of journals and most of them aren't full, but each one represents something, a season. And so I allow myself to go and buy something, a new journal that would be, I buy it based on what it feels like, what it looks like, what it smells like, the sense of a book, a perfect book, you know. Um, and I've gone, I take it, I hold it, go, this, are you, you, you are a part of my prayer story right now. This is part of my relationship with God and the experience that I'm finding myself. So journaling is really, if you are a writer, I don't think everyone journals and it's people paint and they sing and they play and they garden and all of those things are tactile embodied experiences which are all prayers. Awesome. I actually find journals, again, helpful for me to understand my own journey. So like when I go back and read the journals from many years ago, I can actually, that in itself becomes a kind of prayer when I actually go back and and read through my own story. um, And I go, oh, I thought about things that way. Or, oh, I was very worried about that. Or, uh, oh, I related to God in in that way. And just watching the evolution of my own journey is, is kind of a beautiful thing as well. Any other particular questions? Clint. I'm just listening to you share about how you experience prayer or what prayer life is for you. How do you hear from God in that? Uh, 
um, via my experience. So when I'm with whatever it is that I'm experiencing, I'm also wondering about and observing and noticing. And that observation, usually for me, becomes my sense of speak, God speaking. So if I'm gardening, then when I'm digging and planting or pruning or um, whatever, weeding, I'm, I make myself very present to the space and I'm wanting, I'm desiring <clears throat> to hear something. I, I want to. And so just to, to, to desire prayer is prayer. Then I'm actually engaging at that moment and I'm, I feel for me, for me, hearing from God is all about my is what I is coming from my experiences. Um, yeah, which might include people, being with people, conversations. Often, when I'm talking to somebody about their life, I'm just hearing God speak to me about my life. I think God is in is speaking all the time in many ways. Does it say the voice of the Lord is, is well, I can't even quote it. Um, uh, God speaks this way and then that way and then the voice of the Lord causes the deer to give birth. So it's like um, there are so many ways to hear God. And once again, hearing God praying, reading the scriptures, I think they are they need to be very much in line with who we are. How do we engage with God? All, the, all those things as a, as a uniquely individual person. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's the, um, uh, the meeting they have in, in Acts 15 where, where they're trying to decide what to do with all the Gentiles who have come flooding into church communities but they uh, aren't circumcised and they um, they don't follow the Torah and they eat pork. And so they're trying to decide what to do. And in the end they say, which is funny, isn't it? It's one of the it's one of the most direct pieces of kind of applied theology in, in the New Testament, which is we've got a specific issue. We're going to write a letter and it's going to summarize what our response and, and their thing is it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Right. I don't think that would have passed at Bible college. <laughs> um But it, throughout Acts, in fact, you see God speaking in this curious kind of way through 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 the spirit they tried to go over here and then they couldn't go there um, and the spirit led them somewhere else and then they the story about how Saul got anointed by Samuel and it all started by some goats going missing the goats going missing yeah I think it was the goats and some animals yeah the sons of Kish went out donkeys went out looking for donkeys and the net result of that whole story is a good old Saul got um anointed by Samuel, and then it was the servant that came up with the bright ideas of where to go and find, perhaps we should go and have a look for these. It's, it's in King's something, well, I can't remember, but it's a fantastic story of uh, seemingly innocuous 
thoughts that might come into your mind that actually turn out to be quite life changing, mm. but you are can see when you look back. Mm. And it's, it, it's really a real encouragement. That's, that's cool. It's um, it's interesting, isn't it? Often I, f- I find God speaking in, in retrospect. <laughs> so I look back and I say, oh, I can see the way God was leading me there and speaking to me about that. Um, yes. Okay. Well, this is a good warm-up. Not just a warm-up. This is, this is a good conversation. Um, and hopefully something that we can all find ourselves in as we talk about these kinds of experiences. So, Linda, take us through something. Um, just this is something that you can do at home tonight, but we'll just have a wee practice now. Um, so are, are you are any of you familiar with the um, spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola? Yes? Yes? Okay. So um, I won't go into that. That's m- massive. But um, there is a practice in its... Um, the um, the prayer of examine. Anyone familiar with the prayer of examine? And it's something that is suggested that you do in at night time when you're at the end of the day, um, because it's to do with the day's experiences. And once again, it's around your experience, how you have the things you've felt, the things you've noticed about yourself. So there's two aspects to it. One is the the um, examine of the conscience. And the, then there's the examine, examination of the consciousness. So basically, it senses that you, um, and, and the beautiful time to do this is when you just put your head on the pillow and close your eyes, you know, and think about your day. And the idea is that um, you consider when it was during your day that your conscience, you know, basically was pricked or you felt like, oh, gosh, that thing that I said over there. Golly, I might have to sort that out later tomorrow. Or alongside that, the sense of uh, your consciousness. When did you feel or sense the presence of God in your day? And so those two things go together. And so you, um, as a prayer, you, you consider where, where was it that I, or as a contemplation, you consider when was it that, or where was it that I felt like my conscience was seared, pricked or whatever, and I, had a shocker, um, which is kind of leads into Ignatius' idea of desolation, darkness, and you know, and and then, um, but when did I feel the presence of God? So when, when was my consciousness, all that God consciousness within me, uh, come alive? And that leads into the area of what Ignatius talked about consolation. So he talked about desolation and consolation. So that desolation, even though it's darkness and it's hard, it leads us into consolation if we can engage with it well. And the prayer of examine is one of those ways of doing that. So we examine our conscience and we examine our consciousness. And if we do that on a regular basis at 7.30 every night for the rest of your life, because that's when it has to happen. In the, yeah. no. If you do that when you remember to do it and that you find yourself going, oh, I wish I'd done that last night, to desire prayer is prayer. So you give yourself a pat on the back and you feel good about yourself because you actually were desiring something beautiful, but you just didn't get to it. Well, maybe you did get to it, but it's another way. It's all about being with God, right, in the way He, God is asking us. So if we could close our eyes. And I'm just going to invite you to just take a few minutes to think about the day you've just lived and maybe consider a moment where you felt like, oh, man, I wish I had have not said that or made that decision or whatever it is that you may have felt like was 
pricked your conscience or brought you to a place where you're like, okay, God, I'm sorry, or to your friend or your spouse or whoever, your partner, an attitude, whatever it might be, and then just sit with that for a moment and then um, and then consider when it was today that you felt the presence of God, so your, the, that Christ consciousness in you came alive and, um, yeah, and the idea is that you just let that become your tomorrow, the next day, the next day, you are aware of the presence of God and the presence of the things that you wanted to, that you didn't go so well. And that becomes a way to shape your life and your day, that you're always searching for the presence of God. You begin to search for the sense of consolation and you begin to go after the things that create in you a sense of experience around the presence of God, which becomes a way of praying. So, so um, yeah, just, just take a, just a few minutes and um, think about those two things. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are within us and you are deep within us and you are our our comfort, our strength, our, our guide, our source, our life. I thank you that you show us your presence and you walk with us. Help us to be aware of you. Help us to be aware of the things in our lives that would maybe... Um, cause us to turn away because we know you never do and help us to be aware of those moments when we stand in front of you with our, our whole embodied self wide open to you free from anxiety and fear because that's what you offer us and as we go through our days and our, our lives I think perhaps that's what you're asking us to do just to be aware, to be present with you and that you would transform us, change us, and heal us, and create in us something beautiful that you have always intended for us. So thank you, God, for the language of prayer and for the invitation to connect with you in so many beautiful ways and with each other and with the world around us. Amen.